Welcome to Rockbrook Church Podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Building Your Life on Values That Last. We know that God designed values for us to live by and to give us meaning and purpose in this life. We would love to hear from you and how God is using this message to give you a new perspective and hope. Email your story to church at rockbrook.org. Well, thank you for showing up today to uh, pray for the persecuted and join us for this weekend. There's uh, 10 ways to pray for the persecuted church you may have seen on the screen. Uh, We've put that out on social media. You can find that uh, online if you want to pray with your family or pray with your small group uh, this week. You know, the Bible is very specific, very clear about it, that this is not heaven. Uh, It is not a perfect world. There are things that are unfair. The Bible doesn't uh, paint a different picture. Uh, It says there is injustice. Uh, It says that life is unfair. It does not hide it at all. This This is not the way. Can we just stop and recognize today that this is not the way God designed for it to be? This is not the way God wanted it. In fact, when God had it his way, it was perfect. But because of sin, it is now an imperfect place. It's a broken place until Christ returns and redeems it and purifies it and perfects it. And if you ever want to do any in-depth study on the subject of unfairness, of injustice, uh, you got to spend some time in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, where a, a guy by the name of Solomon has achieved all wisdom, all riches, all sex, just sex, salary, and status uh, to a degree uh, we can't even really dream of. Uh, he's achieved all the things that, that we, we think we want in life. And he gets to this place where he starts reflecting on all of that and reflecting on his life's journey and what all this means. And he comes to a point where he says it's just meaningless. It's not, I'm left wanting. I've, I've achieved all these things, yet I'm still left wanting. And throughout that journey, he gives five little snapshots of life that show typical common occurrences of unfairness in the world. For instance, first he notices that criminals go unpunished. In Ecclesiastes 3.16, throughout the earth, justice is giving way to crime, and even the courts are corrupt, and nothing's changed in the 3,000 years since that was written. Criminals rarely get what they deserve. In chapter 8, verse 11, it says, when a, a crime is not punished quickly, People feel it is safe to do wrong, and I don't know how this could be any more relevant than it is today. Given enough money, you can get out of any indictment. All you have to do is hire the right attorney who's going to get you off on the right technicality. Uh, Often it's going to be years before you go to trial. If you get convicted, you probably don't even fulfill or uh, do a, a full sentence because of the likelihood that you'll get off in a few years on parole. And Solomon says, I see all this happening that criminals are going unpunished at the same time the victims and the victims' families suffer. And he says that's not fair, and he's right. He notices another thing. He notices that the oppressed are often unhelped in the world, Ecclesiastes 4.1. Then I looked again at all the injustice that goes on in this world. The oppressed were crying, and no one would help them. No one would help them because their oppressors had power on their side. And history is a record of the fact that it is human nature for human beings to try to dominate each other. 
You see it through all throughout the history of the world. One nation tries to dominate another nation. One race tries to dominate another race. Uh, The powerful try to dominate the weak. It's all through history. Even today, the wars we see in our society and in our world today are basically wars of oppression where one group says, we are better than you, we're going to wipe you out. And many of these oppressed people, many of the martyrs in the world are Christians in places where you can be killed or suffer for claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Oppression is going on. Solomon says no one's helping these people. It's not fair. And he's right. Then he says, exhibit number three, uh, politicians are unethical. Uh, there's, and we see this. There's illegal fundraising, cover-up, scandals, lying about your opponent. It's nothing new. Ecclesiastes 5.8, if you see miscarriage of justice anywhere throughout the land, don't be surprised. For every official is under orders from the higher up, and the higher officials look to their superiors, and so the matter is lost in red tape and bureaucracy. I would say that's pretty current, don't you think? Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 6 says, There's another evil I've seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. Now let me say this very clearly. There are some godly political leaders in our local government, state government, federal government. Uh, I don't like it when people put all everyone in one basket, just like I don't like it when people put pastors all in one basket, that's for sure. But, I mean, are you like me that you, you go to a local, state, or federal election? These are the choices? This is what we're left with? We're just giving great authority to foolish people. And Bible says when ungodly people hold positions of authority, they will abuse it. And Solomon says that's unfair, and he's right. Another wise person, Will Rogers, said, just be grateful you don't get all the government you pay for. So amen to that, but all right. (laughs) Exhibit number four, he says, good people go unrewarded, while evil people often prosper. Chapter 8, verse 11. There is something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. I mean, does it ever bother you like it bothers Solomon that dishonest people get promoted while honest people can be overlooked? Does it ever bother you that drug lords and mafia kings and and porno kings live in luxury while honest people sometimes are barely making a living? Solomon says that's unfair. Maybe you've been treated or, or cheated out of a deal or contract because of some, some unethical company. Maybe you've been to the, the funeral of a, a person, a good person, a young person, and thought to yourself, why did they die? I could think of a dozen other people that should be in that casket today. Solomon would say the same thing. Some of the good die young and some of the wicked live on and on and on. Another thing he notices is that capable people are often unsuccessful. That just because you have the talent doesn't mean you're going to succeed. The good guys don't always win in this world. Chapter 9, verse 11, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. Man, isn't that a shame of how, sometimes, it seems like every time the Olympics rolls around, you see a story about someone who's trained every day for years and years and years, and then the day of the race, some freak accident and they're injured, or they show up late and they're disqualified. People will work their whole life and get to the pro level and and something uh, bad will happen. He says the strongest warrior, that doesn't mean they'll always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. 
Those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It says the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. We all know bright, educated, hardworking people who barely get by financially, yet we, we hear of these bums who inherit millions of dollars and aren't even grateful for it. In our society, the biggest salaries don't go to the smartest people. They don't even go to the necessary professions. We, we pay unnecessary professions more than we pay teachers who train our kids and many other necessary professions. Solomon says the bottom line is that life, wherever you look at it, from whatever angle you look at it from, is not fair. Capable men don't always rise to high positions. People sometimes don't get promoted because of the color of their skin or their gender or their belief in Jesus Christ. And it's unfair. It's wrong. And we all ask at some time in our lives this question, why? Why doesn't God do something about injustice? Is he helpless? Does he not care? Is he unconcerned by it? No, the Bible says that there is injustice in the world for a time for some reasons. And I want to talk about those reasons today. Before we do, I just want to tell you that uh, if you're right in the middle of an injustice, if you're being treated unfairly, if you're right in the middle of an illness or a condition or a disappointment, uh, oftentimes a logical discussion about good and evil and why God allows injustice for a season is not the most helpful thing, is it? In fact, in those times when you're hurting and someone tries to uh, explain it and divide the word and do all these things, it can even be seen as offensive to you. And I, I just say that to tell you that I recognize that, we recognize that here today, that if you're sitting in here struggling and you're right in the middle of something like this, that we want to be there for you. We recognize that, that sometimes simple explanations don't, aren't the answers that you need in this time. But I, I think you will see today uh, compassion. I think you will uh, hear today um, why God allows this from a church who, who many of us, we're not exempt from this. We're going through injustice uh, right now or some unfairness or some uh, struggle in our life. Uh, but but here's, here's, here's why the Bible says we experience injustice for a season. If you're taking notes, write this down with me. It's number one, because God gives us the freedom to choose. In the very first chapter of the Bible, we have the story of creation where God says, I'm going to make man in my own image. It's the only time he says that. Human beings are different from everything else God created, different from animals. God gave you a spirit that has the ability to have a relationship with God. Another way you're in made in the image of God is you have the freedom to make moral choices. And you can choose between right and wrong. Animals can't do that. They make their choices on instinct, on survival, or death. But they cannot choose morally between what's right and wrong. They don't have a conscience. But you do because you're made in the image of God. You have a choice. What's the choice before you? God says it this way in one place in the Bible. I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. Now that's the good news. Is that you can choose a blessing. You can choose what's right. The bad news is, is there's consequences to our wrong choices. And we often make selfish choices. And when I make selfish choices, when you make selfish choices, innocent people get hurt. And that's unfair. 
But there's this assumption with God that we come to God and we think that in order for there to be good, he must never allow the opportunity for evil. But there's a fallout from that way of thinking. If that were the case, God would create nothing. Like we wouldn't even be here. And B, God would create beings with the possibility of, for, or he would not create them with the possibility for moral free will. In order for God to create beings capable of love, he must also create a world where evil and suffering could exist. doesn't have to. But God could absolutely have created a world with no pain. But do you know what that world would also be without? Mercy, love, compassion, true peace. In a world with no opportunity for pain, there is all, every, all the peace you would experience would be totally artificial. There would never be true significance. There would never be true happiness. And God is putting together a group of people who choose to love him. They're not forced to love him. Because you can't say you love somebody unless you have the choice to not love him or her. You can never say you're an honest person if you've never been tested in that, if you've never had the opportunity to be dishonest. So there is injustice when we choose not to do the godly thing. And when we choose not to do the godly thing, that's not on God. It's not God. If I get drunk and get in my car and take the life of another driver, is that God's fault? No, God did not want that. He did not plan that. He did not decide that. It's the result of an evil choice that I have made. So we have the freedom to choose. Uh, well, why, why doesn't God do something about the injustice? Well, it, it, it's this right here. Write this down. God will settle accounts one day. Absolutely. God will do something about injustice. So people may not get justice here on earth, but they will one day. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that God is a God of justice. And if I didn't believe that, I would be in absolute despair. Because evil people get away with evil things all the time, don't they? And thank God they don't get away with it forever. I mean, it would be a travesty if evil dictators who have killed millions just get away with it with no punishment. That's unthinkable. God says, I'm going to be a God of justice. In Ecclesiastes 3, we looked at verse 16 earlier. Here's verse 17. It says, in due season, God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. In due season. Today is not the end of the story. The final chapter has not been written. The books have not been closed. The scales of justice have not been weighed. And one day there's going to be a judgment day where I personally stand before God and give an account of my life, the good, the bad, and whether or not I trusted his son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior or not. And the question will be, am I covered by the judgment poured out on Christ? Or do I face my own judgment? Do I get on the payment of penalty for my sin that Christ paid for me? Or am I going to stand before God and say with my life, no, I want to pay the penalty. I'm going to pay it myself. Have you ever tried to forgive someone and reconcile a relationship but they reject you. you. You can't have a deep friendship with them. There's no trust in a relationship like that. And God is patient. He's offering you an opportunity to repent and be forgiven, but some of us still reject him. 
And if we didn't want anything to do with him here on earth, why would we want anything to do with him for eternity? The third reason that God is allowing injustice for a while is because injustice shows why we need a Savior. It shows what we're really like on the inside. And there's a very popular idea going around today that says, well, human beings are, are basically good. That everybody is inherently a good person. Everybody's basically unselfish. It's environment that makes us do bad things. And anyone who really believes that, I'm sorry, they have never had children. Uh, because the moment you have children, you see that we come out as very selfish human beings. All we think about is us. And we want to think we're all basically good. And we'll say, well, sure, I have some weaknesses. I have some flaws. Yes, I've got some rough edges, some personality quirks, but we don't want to call it what it is. It's sin. We are dead in sin. We are rotten to the core with sin. We're not, God says, okay, you think, you think you're basically good? You think you're, in human nature, just basically unselfish? Then here's what I'll do. I'll take a step back, and I'm going to let human nature take its course in the world, and we'll show you what happens when God is not in the picture. I'm going to allow people to make their own choices. I'm going to allow people uh, to, to do this to show what they're really like and to show that they really need a Savior. The next verse in this passage, 318, God is letting the world go on its sinful way so that he can test mankind and so that men themselves will see that they are no better than beasts. What he's saying there is human beings without God start acting like animals. We all know that. We've all seen that. I mean, most extreme cases we see it as gang rape and these gang killings and senseless acts of violence where people pack together and go hurt harmless, innocent people. And God says, no, you're not an animal. You're made in the image of God, but when I'm not in your life, you tend to start acting like an animal sometimes and you do beastly things to other people, inhuman things. And anytime I hear someone say, man is inherently good, I want to say, well, how do you explain? How do you explain the Holocaust? How do you explain the killing fields of Cambodia? How do you explain 9-11? How do you explain ISIS? How do you explain racism? How do you explain divided homes? How do you explain, how do you explain then the evil things that cross your mind that you don't tell anybody about? That's not inerrant goodness you're being shown there. And one day when we stand before God and God says, let me look at your life, you're not going to want justice that day, my friend. You're going to want mercy. And thank God he's holding off a little bit longer on doing something about injustice because if he didn't give us the opportunity to be saved, we wouldn't make it. If God did something about injustice before giving you the opportunity to be saved, you would not make it. None of us have a chance of getting into heaven because heaven is perfect. Heaven is for people who are alive. We are imperfect. We are dead in our sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And God says, without the work of the cross, without the resurrection, you cannot make it into that perfect place. And God says, you need a savior. And I will show mercy for those who ask for it through my son, Jesus Christ. Number four, why, why does 
God allow unfairness or injustice for a time? Well, it's because how we handle injustice can build character. It can. Now, it doesn't automatically build character, but it can build character. It only produces character when you choose to respond to it the right way. I know a lot of people who've suffered a tremendous amount, and they have no more Christ-like character at all. They're bitter. They're cynical. All suffering does not automatically build character. It only builds character if you respond to it the right way. And many of you have, have gone through some things, and you've thought, why me, God? Why did this happen to me? I didn't ask you to put me in this family. I didn't ask for my spouse to have an affair. I didn't ask for this divorce. I did not ask for this condition or this illness. And you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand, that it's unfair. Maybe there was a a business partner who has stolen from you. Maybe you've uh, poured yourself into a child and they were ungrateful. They actually became rebellious. Or you had a friend stab you in the back. Or you had a parent who mistreated you or ignored you. Maybe you had a relationship that died. Maybe you had a loved one who passed away when you needed them most. Those are, those are things that people in our church are going through today. And the point is that everybody has their own story of unfairness. And how does God say we can grow through character in those things? It's amazing uh, how Christianity comes along and totally stands apart in this. No other worldview deals with this correctly. For instance, in Buddhism, they're going to tell you when it comes to suffering, well, you need to detach from it. You need to kill that that desire to need something more. In Islam, uh, well, you need to just uh, submit to a God who causes the suffering is what they'd say. Hinduism would say suffering is karma, so don't interfere with it. In evolutionary thinking, they'd say, well, there's no meaning or purpose to suffering, and so you can even add to it if it helps you. Christianity comes along and says something totally set apart. Write this down. Number one, it says accept it. Accept it gracefully. Accept it gracefully. Embrace suffering. With God's grace, don't be surprised when you are treated unfairly. Jesus said it's going to happen. He said, in this world you will have trouble. And First Peter is just an amazing book in the New Testament on all of these things where he says, my friends, (laughs) well, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Don't think that, don't think that something strange is happening to you. He's saying you, you cannot choose whether or not you get hurt in this life, but you can choose your response. See, in every unfair and uh, every unfair thing, every injustice, Every time that you're going to look at life and say, now why did they get that? I deserve that. They don't deserve that. You are to accept it gracefully rather than becoming bitter. Why? Because you can't become like Christ if you don't have anything in common with him. You use it as an opportunity to be shaped into the image of Christ, the opportunity to have more in common with Christ. You use it as an opportunity to develop your purpose, which is to become Christ-like in character. So how, how else I, well, okay, I'm going to accept the fact that that's how I'm being molded into the character of Christ, but how do I respond? Number two, I respond lovingly. Respond lovingly. Respond particularly to the people who hurt you. Respond to the offender lovingly. When somebody hurts you, they expect you to retaliate. When someone hurts you, they expect you to seek revenge, to fight back, to try to hurt them. 
And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5.44, our memory verse for this week. Read it out loud with me. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Why do you do that? Because it keeps them from controlling you. Great American scientist Booker T. Washington has an amazing quote. Uh, As a black man years ago, obviously he went through many injustices and unfairness of life. One of the quotes I most admire him for is this. He says, "I I will never allow another man to control my life by allowing him to make me hate him. I will never allow somebody else to control my emotions by letting them control me in such a way that makes me hate them. I don't have to hate. That's a choice. I don't have to seek revenge. That's a choice. I don't have to be filled with resentment and bitterness. That's a choice. And I can't control the unfairness that happens to me, but I'm not going to become a bitter person. I'm not going to let you control my emotions through resentment or hatred. So I'm going to choose to respond in a loving way. Now, when I say respond to the offender lovingly, that does not mean that you continue to allow injustice. On the contrary, we are to lovingly seek justice. We are to work for justice in the world without retaliation, without getting revenge, without seeking to get even, and without seeking to hurt the people who have hurt us. Lovingly seek justice. There are many great examples of this. Obviously, uh, Jesus Christ is the greatest example of it, but there's many modern day examples. Martin Luther King, for instance, uh, maybe the, one of the most well-known examples of this in our nation, or he said, they use whips on us, they put us in jail, they use guns. We're not going to do that. We're going to use non-violent confrontation. We're going to overcome evil with good. We will return love to the very people who have done evil to us. That's, that's what it means to be like Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we are to fight for justice. Jeremiah 22, 3 says, be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Not only for yourself, but help. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. And we are to be more concerned about justice for others than even for ourselves. The third way we can uh, respond to unfairness and injustice is wait. What do we wait for? We wait for God's help expectantly. When you are going through an unjust period, God is on your side. God says, I have a special place in my heart for those who are treated unfairly. All through scripture, God has a special place in his heart for people who are suffering from injustice. Again, in 1 Peter uh, 2.19, a person might have to suffer even when it's unfair, but if he thinks of God and can stand the pain, God is pleased. God hears your cry. He sees your pain, and he knows that you didn't get what you thought you deserved, but he has a plan. And God can develop a beautiful picture with the light of God's love in your life. And if you don't allow his love to do that, you will become bitter, cynical, sarcastic, mean-spirited. Your heart will shrivel and shrink and die. So what, what does God want me to do while I'm waiting for him? First Peter again, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For God, he will never fail you. He will not fail in this. 
God will not fail. You're, you're not going to get an explanation for a lot of the things that have happened in your life that you feel are unfair. Many people think, well, if I could just get an explanation for why this happened, I would feel better. No, you wouldn't. Explanations don't, don't change things. They don't make us feel better. One day when heaven comes to earth and God purifies everything and makes everything right, we will understand better, but God does not owe us an explanation. Why one person gets one thing, you get another He does not owe you an explanation. The good news is, is I don't need an explanation to get on in my life. All I need to know is that God loves me. He is for me. And if I trust him, he will reward me eventually. Look at this passage, 2 Corinthians 4.17. These little troubles, and you might say, they're not little troubles. Must not be talking to me. This is big stuff. Watch what he says next. They are winning for us a permanent, glorious, and solid reward out of all proportion to our being. Out of all proportion to where you'll look back and say, that was light, that was momentary. Those were little troubles because of what's coming to you. And God is faithful. He will reward you if you have the right response to the unfairness of life and you continue to be fair no matter what anybody else does. Let's pray together. Well, thank you, Father, that you care about the hurts of the people here today. Father, I want to thank you that uh, you you don't give us justice, you give us mercy. And if, God, if you gave us what we deserve, none of us would even be here today. None of us would stand a chance of getting into a perfect heaven. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you just pray in your heart and mind today, God, you know the hurts that I feel. You know the things that have happened in my life that I resent, and that I've questioned, that I wish were different, that I've complained about. I want to ask you to forgive me. Thank you that you can use the problems in my life to build character, that, that my pain is not without a purpose. And today, Lord, I ask you to help me start responding the right way when I'm treated unfairly, when I go through an experience that doesn't seem right. God, help me to be fair-minded and to do what is right, regardless of what anybody else does. Help me to be fair in every business deal. Help me to wait for you expectantly. Help me to, to be fair in all my relationships. Help me to keep on doing what is right, realizing there will be a reward If you're not sure that that reward is coming to you, if, ne- if you've never invited Christ into your life, would you just ask him today, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me, God. Make yourself real to me. Become the master and manager of my heart. I believe in the cross. I believe in the perfect life of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. God, I believe that you will make all things right. Be the master and manager of my heart. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, 
and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.